Okay, can you hear me? Good, 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 perfect. Move this down if that's okay. Knock something over today. Well, good morning. My name is Mike Lilly. Um, I am the outreach minister here at King of Grace. Um, the title for today's message is Jesus Does All Things Well. But I hope that when you walk away today that you'll be able to agree that Jesus does all things well and you can trust in him with your life. We've been uh, reading a book, uh, some of us, and it's uh, called The Art of Neighboring. And really some of those points that are, are in that book are really ones that I hope will come out in today's sermon in the message. Um, the three points that, I, I, that are going to support that main message of Jesus does all things well is that he does them well because he's near you. He's available and he's near you. He does all things well and you can put your trust in him because he cares for you. And finally, he does all things well and you can put your trust in him because he heals you. Joseph de Wuster was born in Belgium in 1840. He was the seventh son of a corn merchant. Being a family of some means, Joseph was able to attend college. He then chose to go into the novitiate, that is the priesthood, and he joined the Congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. And he took on the name of Brother Damien, Brother Damien, in his three years of studies, prayed every day to be allowed to go on to the mission field. And that opportunity actually came to him in a very unexpected way. His brother was assigned to go to the missions in Hawaii. His brother became very ill, and so Damien was asked to take his place. In 1864, not long after Damien arrived in Hawaii, leprosy broke out on the island. At the time, leprosy was incurable. It was highly contagious, or thought to be highly contagious. As it turns out, only about 5% of the population can actually acquire that disease. But it was thought to be highly contagious. The colony was established on one of the islands, um, island called Molokai, uh, and it was on the far eastern edge of the island. In fact, to get there, the only way, even today, the only way you can get there is through a small mule path. There's no cars, there's no highways, there's nothing to take you out there. In fact, if you were to go by land, it ends in a 1,600-foot cliff that then drops down to the beach. That beach is where the colony was placed. The only way to get there, really, is by boat. But when you contracted this disease, they'd put you on a boat, and the sailors were absolutely terrified that they were going to get the disease, so they'd get a couple hundred meters offshore, and they'd say, jump, swim your way in. A lot of people didn't make it. They were already sick. They already had this leprosy. They weren't doing well. The currents and the tides were difficult. A lot of people died just trying to make it to shore. 
Likewise, supplies, same sort of deal. They just would put the supplies into the water and hope the currents would carry them in. Well, the Roman Catholic bishop took notice of this colony that was growing and said, hmm, they need a shepherd over them. They need somebody, some religious leader over them. And so he decided he would send a priest. But he didn't want to ask a specific priest to go because really, as far as he was concerned, he was sending them to their death. To work among all these lepers, he was surely going to get the disease and die from it. So he thought instead he would ask for volunteers. And he did. And he got four. Brother Damien, Father Damien now, was one of those. And he went. In fact, he was the only one that actually ever went. When he arrived in May of 1873, there were 18 correction, there were 813 people in that colony. They lived in caves along the cliffs. Now, Father Damien immediately took up evangelizing among the colony. He built a church, but he did more than that. He was more than just a religious figure. Father Damien began to care for these people, these people who had been discarded from society. He dressed the ulcers that were caused by the leprosy. He began to build homes for them. He built furniture for them. And, as it would have it, being on a leper colony, he made caskets for them. And he dug their graves. And he spoke over their funerals. About six months after arriving in the colony, he wrote his brother in Belgium. And in it, you get a glimpse of this man's heart for the people and the God whom they served. Reminiscent of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Father Damien wrote, I make myself a leper with lepers to gain all to Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn now to Mark 7, 31 to 37. If only I would say it's projected on the screen, but for some reason we could not get it in Dropbox. So, anyway, here we go. We're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We have to turn in our Bibles. If you don't have one, listen along. I'll read it. Mark 7, 31 to 37. Then he, that's Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, 
saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity we have to gather together to hear your word. Thank you so much for the excellent worship we were able to share in today. Lord, thank you for the gift of communion. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who build us up and encourage us. Lord, I pray that uh, today, as I speak, you were to empower the words. Lord, prepare hearts to receive them, open ears. Lord, that we would be just like this, uh, this deaf man whose ears are open. And Lord, uh, that our tongues would be released to proclaim your excellent greatness. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this story of Mark, it's easy just to, to read right over that introduction we had to this in verse 31. But that would be a poor choice. Because that introduction is key to what's going on in this, this story and key to what's going on really in this whole chapter. Um, it's, it's really key to what's going on in Mark. Let's take a second um, and go, if you still have your Bibles open, take a look at the first part of Mark, chapter 7. We're going to back up just a little bit. We've been out for three weeks. Let's, let's do a little recap here. Chapter 7 starts off with the Pharisees gathered around um, Jesus. They see his disciples have been eating with unwashed hands. So they ask him a question. Um, they say to him, why are your disciples eating with defiled hands? Now, according to Jewish law, um, Jesus should have corrected his disciples it is true, they were eating with defiled hands. But there's a bigger question that's really going on here. A much bigger question. They're not really asking just, why are your disciples eating with one unwashed hands? They're really asking, Jesus, why are you not obeying the laws and the traditions of the people? Why are you allowing yourself to be defiled? If you were to look at chapters 1 through 6 of, this, of Mark, you would find that Jesus is regularly doing things that would make him defiled. He is regularly ritually defiled. By what, you might ask? Well, he's in contact with people who have demons. Right? He is touching and hanging out with people who are sick, with leprosy, with blood diseases like the lady who had the issue of blood. But that wasn't all. He was eating with tax collectors, and he was eating with sinners and prostitutes. He even touched dead bodies. They brought them back to life, but when he touched them, they were dead. All of those things made him ritually defiled. That is, he was unclean. So the question the Pharisees were really asking him isn't why 
or your disciples eating with defiled hands, but really, why, Jesus, are you breaking all these laws? Why are you breaking the traditions concerning the things of ritual uncleanness? But Jesus quickly turns it around on them, as you see in the next set of verses. And he says, why are you allowing the traditions of men to stop you from following God's laws? But then he turns to the crowd in verse 14, and he says, hear me, all of you, understand, there is nothing outside of a person that is going, that by going into him can defile him. Being defiled isn't about whether we wash our hands or not, or who we spend time with. It's a heart issue, and it's a sin issue. And it's a problem every one of us face. He goes on and, and tells the crowd in verse 20, he says, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things, that's what makes you defiled. The religious people of the day would have avoided any one of those persons that would have been in that list that we just talked about. Just being in contact with them would have made them defiled. Yet we find that Jesus is regularly spending time with them. Remember in Mark 2, after calling Levi, what does he do? Jesus goes over to Levi's house and has dinner with all his friends, tax collectors. Remember, those are the guys who are hated because they've sold out to the Romans. They work for the enemy. The Pharisees questioned Jesus about that at the time. Why are you eating with them? To them, it was outrageous. Why would you do that? And Jesus said what to him? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come here to call the righteous, but sinners. Going back to chapter 7, Mark then puts a contrast for us. He's just given us this list of the things that come from inside that defile a man. Then he sets up a contrast talks about the woman from Syrophoenicia. Let's take a look at the story, starting in verse 24. Jesus says to the woman, correction, Jesus is speaking with that woman, and what do we learn about her? First, she's a Gentile. That means for him to be speaking with her, he's just defiled himself. She's a woman. She's from Tyre, Sidon, Syrophoenician. Josephus tells us that during the days, that first century, they were some of the most hated enemies of the Jews. Jesus is talking to the enemy. He's in Syrophoenicia, or he's in Tyre and Sidon. What does that mean? That means he's in Gentile territory. He's taking the word outside of Israel. What is he doing? Again, this is just completely 
outrageous. This woman is completely defiled, not only by her background, by where she's from, by the gods she likely worships, but her daughter. What's wrong with her? Her daughter's demon-possessed. There's a lot going on here. She's defiled. And yet, Jesus is talking to her in a very personal way. And moreover, he heals her daughter. In verse 29, he just says, yeah, she's healed. You can go. That brings us up to our story now. As we move down to that story of the deaf man, the deaf and dumb man, Marx makes the point to say, again, that it's not what's on the outside that defiles a person. But it's what's inside. In verse 31, remember our setting, Jesus is headed back down from Sidon, or he's from Tyre, going through Sidon, and he goes into an area called Decapolis. Ten cities, kind of simple enough for there. But it's not a direct route if he's headed back to Jerusalem, which is generally what he's doing. The cities that were built there in Decapolis had been built and rebuilt by the Greeks and by the Romans. It was a generally Hellenized area. That means it was generally very Greek in the way it, it did business. Much less Jewish was much more Greek. In fact, many of the people who lived there were not of Jewish descent. And the Jews that lived there were pretty secular. They wouldn't have been ones who were welcomed among the Pharisees. In fact, their, their lack of um, attentiveness to the law really would have put them among those who were defiled. Their living among non-Jews would have put them among those who were defiled. They would have been not much better off than the Samaritans in the way that they were looked at. In other words, what people would have considered unclean they would have been considered unclean. They were defiled. But it's to these people that Jesus came. Now, Jesus could have just stayed right there in Jerusalem the whole time. He could have never left Jerusalem, if you think about it. He could have just said, hey, I'm going to set up my ministry right here, and people can come to me. I'll be here at the temple. Y'all can come to me. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because his mission, he said, was to talk to the sick, to be the physician. Those people that he was there for couldn't have come into the temple. They wouldn't have been allowed in the temple because they were defiled. So Jesus went to them. He made himself available where they were. Jesus went to where the despised, the broken, and the rejected of society were. And he made himself available to them. That methodology, methodology has not changed. 
What Jesus did then is what Jesus is doing now. He goes to where the broken are. He goes to where the destitute are. He goes to where those who are despised live. He does it through us. That's what he's called us to do. He is still a God who is near. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that we were once far off, but now by the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. The Spirit of God is actively moving on the earth today to draw men and women and children to himself. He's looking for hearts to bring near to God. Jesus is a savior and a friend you can trust. His promise to you is that he will always be with you. He told us in John 14, 17, that he sent his spirit to dwell among us and in us as believers. Two verses later, he says, I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. Then again in verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is a Savior who has made himself available to us. He dwells among us, and his promise now dwells in you, his Son. In my own life, I can tell you, I can testify that not once has Jesus left me alone. Not once. I've been in some pretty crazy places, done some unusual things, and not once has Jesus ever left me alone. You can trust him. He is always near you. It's wonderful that Jesus is always near you. But would it be enough? As wonderful as it is, would it be enough? Unless he was also someone who was personal and caring. There are studies that have been done um, on children, on infants. They talk about how they're raised and the importance of communication, the importance of touch. One of those... was done post-Cold War in Eastern Europe in Russia and it was in the orphanages and there was really more observations of what went on. Now the children in these um, studies were cared for from the perspective of they received food they got clean clothes, they had a place to stay they had a warm place I mean, all of those sort of things were, were done but the ratio of caregivers to children was so great that most of the children were left in cribs all day. So while their needs were met physically from that perspective, there was no emotional stimulus. They weren't touched. They weren't held, spoken to, loved. And what the study found is dramatically increased rates 
of neurobiological problems, of poor growth, like they just didn't grow at the same rate as other children. And then just tons as they grew of emotional issues. The only thing they could point back to that was different than all these other children was that nobody cared for them. There was no touch. There was no communication. There was no love. My point in here is to say that the power of personal caring and interaction is much greater than we realize. In our passage, in verse 32, we see that some people brought a deaf-mute man to Jesus. This is an interesting statement in and of itself. Sometimes Mark uses words like a friend brought them to Jesus or a family member brought them to Jesus. But this just says, they. They. They brought him to Jesus. It suggests in and of itself that while somebody recognized who he was, there wasn't any connection, there wasn't any tie, there wasn't any personal caring necessarily involved in this. It's just the nondescript they. It's austere in its language. Like so many others, this deaf, mute man had a stigma. He was rejected by society. He would have been rejected. In fact, they would have probably asked, much like the disciples did of other people, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? that he was born like this. According to the way people would have thought at the time, he was under God's judgment. Besides that, we already said he was part of a Hellenized community in Decapolis. The Jews of that, if he was a Jew, they were sold out. The man was He was unclean. And if you were a religious leader of the day, you would have said it was best to just avoid him. Just don't even go around him. He's unclean. Jesus knew this. Jesus could have kept his distance from him. We see in other places that Jesus heals without ever touching someone. In chapter 3, you have the man with the withered hand. He just says, stretch out your hand. He doesn't touch him. He just says, stretch out your hand. Jesus could have done that with this man. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. It tells us that he pulls him out of the crowd, that, that he takes him away from the crowd. Takes him to a private place. Jesus spends time with this man and it's a very personal interaction that goes on. Jesus took time to acknowledge this man as an individual. Jesus cared for him. It's what Jesus is doing today. It's just what Jesus does among all of us. Jesus came to where we were. The God of all creation, who knew you from the foundations of the earth, came to you. He touched you. He led you by the hand. He cared for you. 
And he hasn't stopped caring for you since you met him. Moreover, he spends time with you. He spends time with you as you pray, as you read your Bible. He speaks with you from his word. He's given you fellow believers. And those fellow believers extend Christ to you in very practical ways as they share their stories, as they talk to you, as they encourage you. Friends, you can trust Jesus as your Savior. You can trust Jesus for his care for you. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross for you. He cared about you so much that he took all of the sin that was yours and mine, and he placed it on himself so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity with him. He cares for you. He desires relationship with you. But as believers, he calls us not to be just receivers of that, but to be givers of that, to extend that personal care to others. If we merely experience the intimate friendship we have with Christ and keep it to ourselves, it stagnates. It becomes stagnant within us. When Christ was asked what was the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This wasn't just for us. It must be for those we come in contact with. We must extend ourselves and that care to those around us, like Jesus did to the hurting, to the broken, to the defiled, to those rejected by our culture. The love of Christ must go out to them too. And we're the ones who carry it. But we have another role. We carry it to one another in the body to bear one another's burdens, to build one another up with the love of Christ. Jesus tells us that the world will know that he is alive by the love we share, by the unity we share between us as believers. You might be saying to yourself, I I don't feel this love of Christ. I don't feel that care. Has somebody in the body prayed for you? Have they offered to take you out for coffee? Have they maybe brought a meal to your house when things were going bad, helped you financially? Given you a testimony of how God's worked in their lives and shared that with you. Just spoken words of encouragement to you. Friends, that's examples of Christ caring for you. Jesus is a Savior you can trust. He cares for you. It's wonderful that He cares for us, that He watches over us, that He loves us. But there's more. I feel like the, the wow, what is that, the sham wow guy? You know? But wait, there's more! <laughs> because there's more! It's a great story. It gets even better. The deaf mute man. It got better than that. He got healed. 
It was a great thing. He could have walked away. Jesus could have done all of that, had that personal time with him, but not given him healing. He could have spent that personal time, recognized him. And yet at the end of it, the guy would have said, wow, that Jesus is really a nice guy. But Jesus did more than that. He brought healing to this man. He placed his fingers in his ears. He spit on his tongue. He looked up to heaven and said, be opened. And the man's ears were opened. And he spoke plainly. In an instant, this man's life was changed forever. He would never be the same. He was no longer a reject. He was no longer part of the defiled. He was made new. What was broken was bound up. Jesus had taken what was defiled and what was rejected and he made it whole. It is what Jesus is doing today. It's what he's always done. It's what he'll continue to do. Jesus is all about taking what is broken, what is defiled, what the enemy has stolen and making it new, making it whole. Many of you, if I were to ask you, could stand up here and give testimony to what Christ has done in your life. How he has brought you to himself. How he has, for some of you, brought physical healing. For many of you, how he has brought emotional healing. How he has restored what the enemy has stolen. Now, I cannot promise you that when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you're going to be physically healed of everything as this man was. I can't promise you your cancer is going to be gone. We can ask God for that, but I, I can't promise that. I can't promise that your, your blood disease will stop, your AIDS will go away. I can't even promise you that your marriage will be fixed. But I can promise you the broken part of your heart and your spirit can be made whole. It can be restored. It can be healed. I know that from a very personal perspective because Jesus did it in me. He took what was broken. He made it whole. Jesus Christ is my Savior. In him I have hope, I have peace, I have love that go beyond my physical circumstance. We have a Savior that you can trust. You have a Savior that heals. And there has to be a response to this. There has to be. Friends, we are called to be like the deaf mute man who was healed. What does it tell us next that he did? Well, if you look, it says that Jesus told him to be quiet, but what did he do? He was absolutely disobedient. He went and zealously proclaimed what God had done for him. Friends, when you are healed of your brokenness, when there is a joy put in your spirit that abounds and overflows, you have to tell somebody. You can't contain it. 
when you are brought back, when you are no longer part of the broken, when you are no longer part of the the despised and the rejected and the defiled, and you are made whole and you are clean, when you are made new, it's got to come out. You've got to tell somebody. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to you. You've got to tell somebody. And that's what this man was doing. You remember Father Damien? I want to offer to you today that Father Damien understood this story. Father Damien had faith and believed that Jesus did all things well. So he trusted in him with his very life. Father Damien saw the example of the deaf mute man and he understood that there were broken people. And so he wanted to go in the missions field where the broken people were, where the despised, the rejected, and the defiled were. It's what caused him to volunteer to go to that leper colony. Father Damien spent time with broken people. He cared for them. He didn't just share the gospel with them. He really became invested in their lives. He dressed those those ulcered wounds from the leprosy. He built their houses. He buried them. He loved them. While not a single person there, there is no record of anyone ever being healed of their leprosy in that colony. But there are dramatic records of a people who are completely changed spiritually for who they were before he came, before the gospel was given to them. These people were completely changed. Spirits were mended, mended, shattered hearts, restored. These were people who had been rejected, cast out by family, by loved ones. Their spirits were restored. Remember that letter he wrote to his brother? He said, I make myself a leper with lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. Well, in December of 1884, that became a very real statement to him because he contracted leprosy. And for the next four and a half years, he did everything he could to make sure that these people were going to be cared for after his death. And in April 1889, Father Damien died of leprosy that he had contracted. But the testimony of Christ lived on for years. And he was often noted by visitors that for the people who were sent to that colony to die, full of the love and joy of Jesus Christ. We could have the worship team come up. Friends, Jesus has done all things well, and you can place your trust in him. You can trust him because he is a savior who came near to you. You can trust him because he is a savior who cares for you, and you can trust him because he is a savior who heals. Maybe you're here today and you haven't 
had that experience. You don't know Jesus Christ in a very personal relationship. I want to offer to you that it is an easy thing to do. It's not difficult at all. You can ask Jesus to simply come into your heart. To be in in control of your life. You can say, Lord, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. Would you please take it from me? Take charge of my life. Ask him to forgive you of the things you've done wrong. And then proclaim him as your Lord. It's that simple. If you do that today, I just want to encourage you like the deaf mute man. Tell somebody. Tell the person sitting next to you. Tell Pastor Paul, Pastor Jeff. Tell somebody. Because you'll never be the same. I want to encourage the rest of you to start asking God, as Father Damien did, what's your mission field? I don't know what it'll be for you, but what's your mission field? What what is God asking you to do? Ask him for opportunities to share the love of Christ in word and deed in your community. Ask him who are those despised people? Who are those who have been rejected around you? Those who are considered defiled. And start thinking how you can personally care for them. How you can make yourself available to them. So that healing can come through Jesus Christ in their lives. Friends, you don't need to be afraid to trust. Be afraid of that kind of stuff. Because you can trust in God. You can trust in Jesus Christ. There is no place that he will ask you to go. And there is nothing that he will ask you to do will not be there with you. That's his promise. You can trust in our Savior, for he has done all things well. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that it encourages, that it blesses, uh, that it speaks to the heart. Lord, you are a gracious and faithful God. Thank you that you've done all things well. Let's stand. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Water. Water, you turned into water.